Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find this show as well. Today, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome back onto the show, Phyllis Costanza, president and co-founder of Outcomes X. Outcomes X is transforming social impact into an investable asset. They're creating the infrastructure to standardize, price, trade, and verify social impact credits. We're going to be looking at the work they're doing. We're going to be looking at the first trade that they're doing in Ukraine and how this is relevant to folks in the corporate world, government, philanthropy, and the nonprofit space as well. When Phyllis last joined us, she was running the UBS Optimist Foundation. Today, she joins us as the co-founder of Outcomes X. And without further ado, Phyllis, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Thank you so much. The, your podcast has a special place in my heart because, as you know, it was the very first podcast I ever did a few years ago. I was so nervous <laughs> and excited. So I'm thrilled to be back. Excellent. Well, it's super great to have you back. You were one of our first guests ever on the Do One Better podcast back when you were at UBS and doing amazing things back then and doing amazing things now. Uh, so you're a co-founder of Outcomes X. You're the president of Outcomes X. What's Outcomes X all about? Outcomes X, what we're doing in essence is building a marketplace to buy and sell social outcomes. And really the, the problem that we're facing is that governments, foundations, corporations spend more than 72 trillion dollars. That's a T, trillion. I mean, it's an extraordinary large amount of money dedicated to assets with a social return. And the number is growing 10% year over year. But social progress has stagnated. So if you look at progress of how, you know, even if you just extract the S from ESG funds, they're growing astronomically, but progress on the SDGs has remained flat. And I think SDG attainment has remained at something like zero to 1% growth globally. And so, you know, I, I think a large part of this disconnect is driven uh, by a lack of investment quality data to drive effective resource allocation. And so over the past eight years, uh, my business partner, Jason Saul, has been developing something called the Impact Genome Registry. And they have pioneered a standard for social impact, which can be used to verify and price and benchmark social outcomes. So we see Outcomes X as the next step, launching the first social impact market where impacts can be listed, they can be priced, and they can be sold. Excellent. Now, I know we have a lot of different terminology and still it's a work in progress in terms of definitions and all of this. Let me cover some of the basics just to make sure that we're getting it right, that we're all speaking the same language and that the folks who are listening actually get it. So we're looking at a marketplace for these social outcomes where you can buy and sell and trade um, something like increasing literacy rates in country X, perhaps, right? Exactly, exactly. And these are outcomes, not outputs. So it really builds on the great work that people have done around outcomes-based financing, what used to be called social impact bonds. Great. And um, even though on the website, I don't think I've spotted the term impact investing, we are looking at the world of impact investing here. Is that correct? So we're looking at impact investing as well. But we're, our target market for buyers are corporations and governments. 
And the reason for that is because they're spending substantial money on social outcomes. And in the case of corporations, corporations aren't getting any credit for their social impact. They get credit. I think it's something like um, ESG rating agencies give about 3% of the rating score goes to the S in ESG, which is crazy because the S is so, can be so directly correlated to intrinsic benefits to the company and commercial benefits. I mean, we see it with employees who only want to work for companies that have um, a strong social conscience or um, you know, social footprint. We see it for consumers who who have now said, you know, I think a, a huge proportion, 85 or something percent of American consumers said that they would boycott companies that don't stand up for things like racial equality. So these have a huge impact on the bottom line of corporations. So we want to make sure that companies are able to get credit for um, actually delivering social impact. Now, one of the moving targets and one of the difficulties that I always saw and that I think you're trying to address, and I'd love to find out a little bit more about that, has always been, so if you're trying to quantify um, what sort of return an investment has, if it's a straight, straightforward financial investment with risk-adjusted market returns as the expectation, well, we know what to do, and it's all highly regulated, and 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 the ratios that are involved and so forth, everybody sort of is talking the same language. When it comes to social return, much more hazy, opaque, uh, unregulated. Uh, I, I always think, you know, other than reputational risk for coming up with something outlandish, people can come up with all sorts of figures made on the spot about what sort of social return a particular initiative has achieved. And if I gather things correctly from Outcomes X, you're trying to standardize what the social returns look like, um, how they're measured. It becomes a common language, perhaps. Am I right? Exactly. So what we've done was taken 12 of the most common categories of intervention. So things like education, economic development, public health, youth development, criminal justice, et cetera. So we've got those categories. Underneath each of those, we've created a taxonomy to code social impact, and that's important. And so for instance, let's just take education. In education, one outcome might be improved learning. Uh, another outcome might be grade progression. Now, those are two different outcomes. Unfortunately, they're not always correlated, but they're two different outcomes that people might strive for. So let's stick with learning achievement. Uh, so what we do is all nonprofits um, that can deliver that can upload their data right now for free because we got a grant from Google to, to do this. They can upload their data for free to the Impact Genome Registry. We then code the data. So let's say they're delivering improved learning outcomes. The main outcome is um, improved learning. Um, what are the interventions that they deploy to improve learning outcomes? And, and frankly, you know, we've done analysis of 2 million projects and there's not an infinite number of interventions. It's it, pretty much, you know, organizations work in a num with using a, a number of strategies. You know, they might uh, 
increase the amount of time in the classroom. They might provide after-school support. They might provide tutoring. They might provide different types of textbooks. They might train teachers and parents. You know, there, there's all sorts of, of tactics that they'll employ. We code each of those. And then based on the large database we have, we can price the outcome. So we know, for instance, that all of those nonprofits that are delivering improved academic uh, success let's say the average cost, I'm making up this number, but the average cost might be between $1,100 and $1,350 for all of the nonprofits that are doing that. Now, the nonprofits can then price their own, give it their own price. And there's complete transparency on price discovery. So buyers can then come to the marketplace, purchase X number of units of improved learning outcomes, and we will verify that outcome and then basically certificate it that's probably not a word, but we, <laughs> issue, we issue a token on the blockchain, which represents that that outcome has been verified and delivered. And then if you're a corporation and you purchase that outcome, you can use that certificate or NFT to then report to the rating agencies so that you have verified proof that an outcome has actually been delivered and nobody can accuse you of cause washing or greenwashing or whatever they call it. Yeah, which is an issue, obviously. Um so I always used to think with impact investing, well, I always wanted the idea. I, I always loved the idea of having an efficient and ef efficient market where you could buy and sell and, uh, and trade all of these social outcomes. And I remember thinking about this many years ago and thinking, wouldn't it be great if we got there and, and you know, how are we, you know, how, how do we move there? And I remember speaking to somebody not long afterwards who sort of dissuaded me from the idea and said, well, actually, every intervention is so bespoke that the analogy wouldn't be so much to public equity markets, it would be more of a private equity market or private equity play, because you really need to sit down, the investor and, 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 and the folks seeking the funding, you need to sit down and understand what we're talking about. But in this case, with you guys, we are looking at, at a platform, at a marketplace where you can buy and sell without having to sit down for every specific intervention, right? Exactly. And, and frankly, that's been so far a big challenge with outcomes-based financing is they are very bespoke. We price every single one differently. We look at outcomes that are different for everything. Um, and they take years to develop. At least that's been my experience. Um, this, what we've done is it turns out that after doing analysis on these 2 million projects, that actually we can find commonalities. So the Impact Genome Registry has identified about 140 outcomes that are, are pretty clear. You know, some organizations may deliver more than one outcome and that's fine as well, um, but you can actually standardize some outcomes, you know, learning improvement. You know, not, not controversial. Many organizations try to achieve that. Grade progression, similarly, youth development, civic engagement. There, there are a lot of these, you know, increases in number of um, BIPOC and uh, women in, in um, STEM. You know, these are things that I think we can all agree on are, um, are desirable outcomes. So there isn't an infinite number of them. We, and, and, you know, 
But the more there are, we can start to expand this. And we are going to open this up for public comment uh, and get input because there will be a lot more outcomes than just the ones, the 140 that we're listing. But what's interesting is it's not as bespoke as we have been led to believe. Right. And give us a little bit of, a, of insight into the, the journey of how Outcomes X came to be. And, and up until recently, you were, you were at UBS and used to head up the UBS Optimist Foundation. And uh, so you're not entirely alien to the notion of finance and, uh, and social impact. Yeah, well, at, at UBS, what we really tried to do was to incentivize ways to get to get our clients to focus on outcomes. And so we did the first, what was then called Development Impact Bond in Education in India with Educate Girls. It was very successful. Um, in that model, there was a return because the investor assumes the risk and outcome funder then pays back the investor uh, with a return. Um, but it's it is complicated. You've got to then find two funders. You've got to find the investor and the outcome funder. And so... Um, I called up a friend of mine who I went to graduate school more than 30 years ago with, and his name is Jason Saul. And I said, and I read about what he has done with the Impact Genome Registry, how he's coding all of these projects. And I said, this is amazing. I want to upload all of our projects from UBS. We had 400 projects under management into the Impact Genome Registry uh, so that we can start telling our clients um, that they can just simply buy the outcomes. We can start to price what it costs to deliver a particular outcome, et cetera. And he said, oh my God, I want to do that too. Um, and so it was probably, it took probably all of 30 minutes for me to decide I have to do this. And I went to my fabulous boss, Suni Harford, and, and told her what I wanted to do. And she said, this is an amazing idea. And you really can't do it at UBS. Um, you know, it's not really, it, it won't sit well within a financial institution. It really has to be a separate entity. So I decided to leave to start this business. And, um, and so I left UBS about three months ago. And we're starting Outcomes X, uh, building on the great work that he's already done in the registry and also, you know, standing on the shoulders of, of people who have done so much great work in the outcomes-based financing space. Excellent. I love the entrepreneurial spirit uh, and the sensible risk-taking, which is it's, it's great. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about then the people who would be able to, to use Outcomes X. So on the one hand, obviously, we think about the investors, but also on the fundraising side, correct? I mean, I imagine folks who are running nonprofits would benefit from being able to tell you about their work and possibly have you be a gateway for, for folks who want to, to finance this sort of stuff. Exactly. So, you know, I mean, I, I see, you know, this kind of marketizing social impact is, is in some ways really the ultimate transformation um, of the social sectors where um, nonprofits, the impact suppliers can find instant liquidity for their work and the buyers of social impacts like corporations and governments or and even foundations can acquire social impact credits for all the billions and trillions of dollars that are being invested. And so, so first of all, um, you know, one of the buyers could be governments, and this enables governments to be evaluated, um, maybe even rated in the future based on the outcomes achieved. Think about bond ratings now. You know, if bond ratings could incorporate how effective a government is at easing suffering, suffering creating greater equality in their societies, et cetera, 
um, that would be very powerful. And it's a, it's a really um, good indicator of stability, government stability. Um, then also um, consumers and employees care about social issues. So it's great for corporations to buy these tokens and demonstrate to consumers and employees that they care. Um, they also get verified social impacts. So, you know, as somebody said to me, this is amazing because now, you know, it's, it's a CYA for me. I don't want to get accused of greenwashing or causewashing. So if I have a token that verifies my outcomes, nobody can accuse me of doing that. It also lowers the cost of social change. So nonprofits right now spend $20 for every $100 they raise. It is the most inefficient use of capital. And they are um, desperate to get in front of the funders. And it's usually the best fundraisers or the organizations with the glossy brochures and fancy galas that get the most money. And it's not a meritocracy. It's not based on the organization organization's ability to achieve outcomes. So it really um, not just lowers the cost of social change, but I think it's a great equalizer. And finally, those smaller nonprofits that don't have access to wealthy individuals or corporations like organizations in Ukraine who don't speak English, but can deliver great outcomes. Um, they get access to the capital as well. So we're commoditizing perhaps the social impact. Is that fair to say? Uh, I think it is or fair. Or is that a bad word? Yeah. No, I, I think it's very fair to say. I do think people will say, oh, that's a bad word. You know, you're commoditizing this. I mean, it's like the slave trade. These are human beings we're talking about. I'm sure we're going to get that criticism. Um, you know, people people don't like change. And so I really, I, I don't want, I, I, we don't want to position this as, we're disrupting and, you know, democratizing and, you know, using all these cliche words, we're progressing social impact um, in a way I think that will be advantageous to all of the stakeholders, but there will be pushback. There is no doubt we will see pushback from the people who benefit from the system as it exists now. Well, well you can't, um, what is it? You can't make uh, an omelet without cracking a few eggs, I suppose. The, uh, the, <laughs> The people who would be able to invest in this are, are and I don't know if you're visualizing a specific sort of profile or whether it's open, uh, wide open. And I guess I'm thinking on the one hand, you could have a philanthropist who's thinking, look, I want to focus on on educating girls in northern India and, you know, and then they can go to your platform. Could you also be looking at the big foundation? Sometimes when you have a billion dollars in the bank, the, the deal flow, you know, the pipeline of really good investment opportunities is a bit challenging for social impact, you know? So who do you think would be the folks who, who would be um, most drawn to your platform? Yeah, I mean, I think the buyers on the, so, so we're building a marketplace on the buy side and the sell side. Um, so on the buy side, we're really targeting corporations and governments. Um, however, what's interesting is we've already got financing from Google and from Gates Foundation uh, because they see this as a critical way to help. Well, on the side, on the Gates Foundation side, they actually see this as a potential way to engage people like their giving pledge signatories who have yet to start giving away their money. Um, and so we're trying also to think about how do we create pro financial products that are interesting for high net worth individuals. But I think our early markets will be corporations 
and um, governments because they have uh, so much money on the table. And if they could demonstrate that they're using their money more effectively and efficiently, it'll have a big impact on their societies, on their bottom line, et cetera. Interesting. So corporations and governments, although conceivably those philanthropists might creep their way in there, and sometimes I guess... The, we hope they do. Yeah. I, I guess those uh, those entrepreneurial ventures, you start off with one one uh, concept of what it could look like, and then maybe through practice it ends up being slightly slightly different. Um, yeah, that's so true. I mean, we're, we're already, we're doing our first trade right now, um, and we're learning so much. I mean, what things that we just took for granted, frankly. Um, but yeah, it, it is possible that large foundations will want to do this um, as well. So we're, you know, obviously, they're more than welcome to come onto our platform. Great. So tell us about this uh, first trade, you just, uh, uh, you just referenced it. What's what's that? So our first trade is actually in Ukraine. The problem right now, I mean, there, there's a lot of um, tragic problems right now in Ukraine, um, tremendous suffering. And 99.7% of all humanitarian aid financing for human services is going to organizations outside of Ukraine, focusing on refugees who have fled the country. Now, not that there's a great need there, but there's a tremendous need for people inside the country, too. And a lot of uh, the refugees have started coming back and money just isn't flowing to Ukrainian organizations working on the ground in the country. So what we're doing is um, the buyer of these outcomes is interested in two things. One is improving mental health of children in the country and improving learning outcomes of children in the country. Uh, because as you know, education has come to a screeching halt. Um, and especially right now when there's um, access to electricity has, um, you know, it's two hours a day now in Kiev and it, it's, it's very, very difficult now for children to get access to any learning materials if they can't even do it online. So what, what we are doing, we didn't have data in our database that helped us try to set a price for what it costs to work in a war zone. So we're doing what we're calling basically a reverse auction. So we've hired people on the ground in Ukraine to recruit nonprofits who are delivering those outcomes. Those nonprofits will upload their data with support from translators. So we have full-time translators to Everything can be done in Ukrainian. It doesn't have to be in English. We've done all of our webinars in Ukrainian and English. Um, they upload their data. Then the buyer will do an analysis of all of the data. And we actually don't rate the quality of the program. We're not passing judgment on the program. We're rating the quality of the data that's been uploaded. So they upload the data and cost information. We then rate the quality of the data on a scale of one to five based on the rigor of the evidence, the validity, and the relevance to the outcome. Then we'll, we'll price it. So based on all of the information we'll get, we may end up taking a medium price. We have to see what we get in. Um, and let's say we take a median price and we say, okay, the average cost, again, made up numbers, the average cost of improving mental health for a child over a 12-month period is anywhere between $1,200 and $1,500. So we're going to set the price at, let's just say, $1,400 per child. So we go back out to the market. We say, okay, the buyer has selected these 10 organizations in the country to work with. 
the price to deliver improved mental health that they're willing to pay is $1,400. They're going to buy 100 improved mental health outcomes from you. That means 100 children. They're going to buy 1,000 from you, et cetera. Now, let's say the nonprofit, let's say um, the buyer says, we're going to buy 100 units from, I'm going to use Teach for Ukraine as an example for improved learning outcomes. All right. So they get the money. They deliver, we then verify the outcomes at the end, and we have a group of academics working with us to help interrogate the data. Uh, we then say, you know what? They bought a thousand um, learning outcomes from you, but you actually delivered 1,500. So we issue 1,500 tokens to the nonprofit that represent each child's improved learning outcomes. The buyer gets the number that they purchase. So if they purchased a thousand, they get the thousand tokens back. Then there's 500 additional units that that nonprofit can sell to other buyers. And the current buyer has also said, hey, we want first dibs on being able to buy excess outcomes that nonprofits may produce. So it enables the nonprofits to get rewarded for overachieving. So the counterparty then, that nonprofit that has accumulated that surplus of 500 units and so forth, it is for them to do as they wish with that. In other words, it's exactly. not Exactly. Right. Exactly. I mean, they, our, ours is the only marketplace now that where they could sell these, they're called verified impact units, you know, a play on the verified carbon units. Um, and so... Uh, they, you know, right now they can sell them on our marketplace and they can price them however they want. They might say, you know, we're willing to price these at a discount now. You know, we're willing to sell them for 50%. We've already delivered the outcomes and that'll enable them to deliver even more outcomes. You know, we've got this um, right now in the carbon market. What's fascinating is, you know, Alberto, if you wanted to buy um, a carbon credit, you would go to whatever registry, you know, you look at what you want to buy and you would buy a, you could buy a 2015 vintage. Uh, so you're buying a retroactive credit basically. And, but, but we don't do that in the social sector and we want to do that in the social sector. So why shouldn't, you know, what, why shouldn't we treat producers of social outcomes um, similarly to how we purchase other products. If, you know, I don't know, maybe you're wearing a very fancy shirt that you had custom made, but I suspect you probably bought that off the shelf. It was already produced. You know, why can't we buy outcomes off the shelf and enable producers to make even more shirts or, you know, produce even more outcomes? So I'm hoping that what we see is a big transformation in how we think about buying social outcomes. And we continue to incentivize those organizations that deliver the best outcomes and we give them the money to produce even more good outcomes. Yeah, yeah. On this specific trade for Ukraine, um, the example you gave is you have the buyer and then you can have these delivery organizations on the ground. Um, must you necessarily only have one buyer? In other words, yeah, I guess in this particular trade, it's one buyer and that's how you're starting off and it could turn out that other people are, are involved in the trade subsequent. But could you start having situations where an initial trade is, um, in, I guess, instigated perhaps or by multiple percent Yes, absolutely. And that's how market works anyway. You know, like there's many people buying that shirt. There should be many buyers buying these outcomes because we're bringing together. Um, now we've got about 50 nonprofits have already done the pre-screen 
in Ukraine, and we're hoping to get more. So if you're listening and you're in Ukraine and you know organizations who can deliver on mental health improvement and improve learning outcomes, please encourage them uh, to go to our website, which is outcomesx.com, and you'll see right there uh, in English and Ukrainian how to submit information. But we're hoping that once we gather these nonprofits and price them and identify who's got the best data, um, then we can attract additional buyers. And we're certainly working on that right now. So if you're also a buyer, come to our marketplace. There you go. Speaking of Ukraine, I should point out and thank um, our listeners in Ukraine because on Apple Podcasts for the nonprofit charts, we we reached number two the other day, and I think we're still in the top 10. Uh, so quite timely, uh, Phyllis, that Bravo. you're on the show right now. We're talking about Ukraine. Um, creating a marketplace isn't easy, right? I mean, you have a bit of a chicken and egg thing. You got to have both sides. Um, you want a deep liquid market. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, where do you start? Okay, so it's a great question. So, so Impact Genome Registry started eight years ago on the cell side. So they already have 2 million nonprofits um, in the registry, and they've verified outcomes for about 3,500 of them, which is more than there on, you know, all of these very established uh, carbon registries. So we, we, uh, we have the largest, I think the only social impact registry. So they started on the supply side. So we're really, we're working on the buy side, but as you can see what we are doing in Ukraine, we have to simultaneously build the supply side as well. So building a market is, you know, you kind of, you focus on the buy side and then you realize, oh no, I don't have enough on the sell side. So then you've got to attract that. Um, so until we get more liquidity into the system, you know, we're, we're hoping that supply and demand side will grow simultaneously, uh, but it is a back and forth. So right now we're hiring people who can recruit nonprofits uh, and also who can recruit buyers. So we work on them simultaneously. Excellent. And um, in terms of regulation and the regulatory environment for you, I mean, if this was a straightforward commercial play, I guess, uh, financial uh, market, you, you'd have a lot of regulators coming down and saying you got to comply with all of these things. What's that look like for you? Um, the re regulation is going to play a key part in this. And, um, you know, as you know, in Europe, um, regulators are far more active in the ESG space. And so what we're trying to do is really define the S and ESG, which, is, which has been paid, you know, people paid very little attention to this. And there is now regulation that is starting to emerge primarily in Europe and outside of the United States around the S. So we'll be very engaged in with regulatory discussions around that. Um, and we also see uh, on the government side, you know, if we're going to get government purchasers, uh, there's going to be a need for regulatory change as well. We're talking to um, finance officers right now in government, and they're really supportive of this. They love this concept because you can predict what it's going to cost, and you also are de-risking it. And um, I mean, think about the money that they could save, because right now in the U.S. alone, of the hundreds of billions of dollars that U.S. local, state, federal governments spend on delivering human service and social outcomes, we have knowledge of impact of less than 1% of that. So 
you know, if we had knowledge of the impact, we would be funding things that work. <laughs> um, so there is a regulatory piece. There's also a rating agencies piece. So we're in conversations also with rating agencies because we want them to accept tokens. We also, um, you know, why shouldn't governments get rated on their ability to deliver uh, outcomes? Their bond ratings maybe could be affected by um, their efficiency and efficacy. So I think there will be a very important regulatory and ratings um, key piece to this. I remember that. Speaking of bond ratings, uh, you probably remember too. I don't know when Jim Kim was running the World Bank a few years ago. He wanted to have the cap human. Well, he was talking about the human capital index and having governments, mm -hmm. even the cost of capital, be contingent on how they they go about things. Um, exactly. Yeah. Which I think is really interesting. So this is the thing. You were on the show last about three years ago, and you're certainly going to have to come back before another three years go by. And I'm really keen to hear how outcomes X unfolds. That journey seems very interesting uh, to me personally, but also I think for anybody in, who's interested in this space. Before we conclude for today, let me ask you, is there a key takeaway that you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode? Yes. I, th there's, can I say three You things? can say three. three. Absolutely. Okay. Go for it. The first one is, this is possible. This is very possible. Uh, we can make this market, this tremendously huge market, much more efficient. And we have to look for the possibilities in this. And, um, you know, there will be haters out there, but, but I urge people to look past that and see the possibilities in this. That's the first one. The second one is Ukraine. We desperately, desperately need to help people on the ground in the country. So if you are delivering outcomes in Ukraine or you want to buy outcomes delivered by local organizations, delivering really effective and efficient um, mental health and education outcomes, please come to our website at outcomesx.com. And my third um, ask is that we're hiring. Um, we are hiring and we need great people on the sales side, on the supply side. Um, we need lawyers, we need um, HR people, we need communications, we need a CFO. So um, come look at our website. We'll be posting jobs shortly. There you go. There you go. Phyllis, thank you so much for joining us back again on the Do One Better podcast. Always great seeing you and learning from you. And I wish you a great deal of success with this new venture. Sounds very exciting. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks very much for joining us today. As always, you've been listening to a great chat with Phyllis Costanza, president and co-founder of Outcomes X. For information about this conversation and around 200 other interviews and case studies with remarkable leaders in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find this show as well. Very much enjoyed producing today's episode for you. I hope you found it informative, insightful, and energizing. And I look forward to catching up with you next week.